right, we're going to jump into our service this morning. Uh, we're going to finish up this series um, that we've been doing called My Church. We've been talking about what God really meant when he said, I'm going to build my church. Jesus actually said it, to keep us looking like the church that Jesus was talking about. I think sometimes it's good to have a reminder. Some of we may already be doing a lot of these things, and sometimes this may be new. It may bring you into something new. What we've been talking about is the church that's passionate about some things, about pursuing God, pursuing prayer, pursuing God's people, that we're passionate about seeing lives changed, about pursuing all that God has for us, about his power and his life, and we're pursuing what we're going to talk about today, some life-giving relationships. We're hanging our hat on this scripture in Matthew chapter 16, verse 8, where Jesus says, I will build my church. Say this with me, my church, I will build. Notice that Jesus says it's personal. He he said, this isn't just our, or this isn't just my father's. This is, he said, I'm going to build my church. All through the Bible, the Bible uses the analogy of the bridegroom and the bride and, and the groom coming for the bride, which is us, the church. And he calls this my church. See, I think it's because it's personal to Jesus. It's important For us now more than ever, to be the light, to to offer people something that is light. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, the world's changing quickly and gets darker by the minute. We should be, and I'll say this, I didn't have this, but I don't know if you saw what happened this weekend, but Israel has been attacked. And this is not a political statement, this is a biblical statement. The Bible says that we should be praying for Israel. The Bible says, according, this is God saying to Israel, he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. I don't know about you, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand, I want to be on that blessing side. So I encourage you to be praying for them, that those people don't. There are people getting pulled out of their homes, horrific things happening, besides just being bombed and attacked, that we're praying for those people. So the world's becoming darker quicker. Just minute by minute. So if now more than ever, there are people who are hurting out there in a dark place that need to know that there is a light that shines even in that dark place. And the way that happens is we build these things, real, honest, and life-giving relationships. People change you more than you know. People, those in your life, affect you. I have long said this that you show me your friends, you show me the people you hang out with, and I can, within a pretty good few degrees of accuracy, tell you what your next 10 years are going to be like. Because the people around you affect you that much. And we don't want to think that. We don't want to believe that, but it's true. And to have real real honest relationships. We've gotten good at at playing church. We've gotten good at, at putting on this, this good face that it's, it's not, in a lot of cases, it's not real. And I get it. I get it that culture teaches us, hey, you don't get, let everybody in your business. You don't tell it. You, you keep your secrets. You keep them closed because people will hurt you and people will wound you. And partially that's true. The wrong people will hurt you and will wound you. But the Bible's very clear that right relationships builds you up, make you stronger, make, make you better. And the truth is, it's great and dynamic. Now, this is going to stun you, so just hold on to your, 
shoes. I'm going to blow them right off you. I know this is going to stun you, but as dynamic and just seriously overwhelming and as life-changing as the sermons you hear every Sunday are, go ahead. No, I expected to laugh. I, I get it. It's not enough. It's not enough to, to change you. It's, it's, it's a part of the catalyst that should propel you along. That we, we get over this playing church. Now, if we're going to be honest, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but mentally raise your hand. How many of you with your wife or your kids or husbands or family members, you were not very Christ-like on the way to church this morning? There are some of you whose arms and shoulders are sore, not because you worked hard yesterday, but because you were swinging at kids all the way, right? I told you, I'm gonna, don't make me stop this car. And you ain't going to stop the car. You're just screaming. Then the door opens, and it's like, bah. And we give and get into our church strut, you know, the swag. Hey, bro. Hey, hey, yeah. How you doing? How you doing? How are y'all doing? We're great. And, you know, you're talking to people in the parking lot, and both of you are lying. One of you is yelling at your kids on the way in, and the other was the husband and wife yelling at each other on the way in. And as soon as the door opens, now, am I saying we come in yelling and screaming at each other? No. But I think if we're real relationships, that there should be somebody in our lives that know, hey, he's smiling, but only on the outside. Something's wrong. The Bible tells us about King Solomon, and King Solomon was called the wisest man that ever lived. He asked God for more wisdom than anybody else. And he writes this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, there was a man that was all alone. We'll stop right there. If ever in our world now, depression, mental illness, mental illness, meds, nothing wrong with meds. And it doesn't make you weird if you have struggled and fought with depression. So it's, but I just want you to see it's nothing new. But here's King Solomon writing about this man that says, I'm all alone. He had neither son or brother. He didn't have any family. There was no end to his toil. In other words, he was a workaholic. He was the one that said, if I can just keep working, keep working, keep working, it'll make everything better. It'll make my boss happy, my family happy. I'll make more money, whatever it may be. I just go, go, go. Yet his eyes were not content with what he did. It's never enough. He just works and, works and he's excluded everybody. Look what it says in the next part of the verse. And he asked himself a question. Why am I doing all this work? Why do I not even enjoy life? Look what it says. It goes on. It says, for I am toiling and working and depriving myself of this enjoyment. If you go into verse 9, it says, I'm all alone. But two are better than one. Why? Because they have good return for their labor. Two, working, chopping on a tree, can cut it down faster than one person. Two, going through life together, can get through life and help each other a lot faster. But it says in verse 10, if either of them falls down, and let me stop right there. We're all going to fall down. Everybody. Now, some of us make a bigger splash. We just fall a lot harder from a lot higher. Some people, you know, it's a stumble and fall. We're all going to fall. We're all going to mess up. And the key in relationships is you've you got to have somebody there. Because it says that if one falls, the other can help the other one up. But it says, but pity. 
feel sorry for. It hurts God's heart to see somebody who falls and there's no one there to help them. Now, a lot, a lot of times it may be through circumstances not of our own doing. We end up by ourselves alone and God's got to be the one to pick us up. But there's a lot of us that we fall and we fall down and there's nobody around us. And the reason there's nobody around us is because we've not let anybody in. No one. No one knows my business. I'm a private person. Well, great. You can be a private person, but there's going to be a lot of privacy on the ground by yourself with no one there to help. It goes on in verse 11 to say, also, if two lie down, they're going to keep each other warm, but one can't do it. In verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, that a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, again, as life-changing as the Sunday is, they want me wrong, and I say it in jest, and I don't pretend to have, I don't be, I don't even pretend in my own head to be a great speaker, great sermons. I think I just stand up here and say, oh, God, help me. And that's what you get. And I do think on Sunday mornings next door in the kids' church and the foyer and the, the band and even that song that we sang today, You're Worthy of It All, that I think we do pretty good. But all of that is not enough to change your lives. I said this a minute ago. I want you to see this on the screen, that life change happens in relationships. You have to be in relationship with somebody who is bringing you along and can work up with you. The people that I, that I hang out with or that I talk to in pastoral circles, really outside of Sylvania, just as I try to get better, I try to find people who are better at me than something that I can, I can emulate because they bring me up. Those relationships bring me and make me better. And there are other people's relationships that I have that I may be that. I'm, I'm helping them in areas. But I have these relationships that life, for us, the preaching is not enough. You need to be in a grow group. You need to be on a dream team. You need to, you need to, um, you need to come on Sunday, but you need to know this, that I, I give you good information and I give you a good message but it's not necessarily information that changes your lives. Your lives are shaped by relationships. And the, the truth of that is it goes good and bad. Good people make you better. Bad people, guess what? They rub off. They, I had a friend say, I, I really like, I make sure my, fr he told me my friends all smell good. And I was like, like, are you telling me I don't smell good? He said, no, 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 I'm not talking about their literal smell. He goes, I'm just talking about the air that their life gives off. Because I realize that the more I hang around them, the more I smell like them. It's like if we go and leave to go to eat today and you go to one of a couple of restaurants, it's not like we got that many choices. And you come out, I bet you that I could probably walk up and go, Subway. Right? Or, you went to Cholitos, right? Or, or Huddle House, or whatever it is. Because we smell like that environment, and the same is true in our relationships. And I don't want to smell like Huddle House. I, I, wanna, I want that somebody that's leaving their mark on me to be something that's pleasing and makes me better. The Bible says this in Romans 12. It says, so it is with Christ's body, we are many parts in one body. We're all connected together. And as gross as this may sound, but if I take my hand and they cut my hand off and detach my hand and leave it over there, 
and they sew me up so I don't bleed to death, the rest of me is going to keep growing and keep moving. You're getting older and aging. That hand's not. It's now useless because it's lost this connection. And part of what Jesus said in my church is you guys are so connected because he says, and we all belong to each other. You belong, you have to stay connected. People will tell me, I'm just not a people person. Well, there's, that's okay. I'm not saying you got to be connected to everybody, but you got to be connected with somebody. Because it's a very dangerous place to live. That The most dangerous place you can live is this place called All About Me. It's very bad. I can't say it enough. And there, maybe you are, maybe some people have these narcissistic tendencies that it's got to be all about me, all about me. Or you're just alone and you pushed everybody away. Very dangerous place to be. Because nobody's got your back. Two can carry a sword, the Bible says, and stand back to back, and you got that way, and I got this way, and, and you can protect each other. You can protect each other from the things that the, the devil brings into our lives. It's very dangerous to live in a place where nobody has a word into your life. When I ask you this, and I, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand and give me an out loud answer, but mentally maybe answer this. Is there somebody in your life that can tell you no even when all you, your answer is yes? Even when you've made up your mind? Is there somebody that can walk in and go, I know you're about to buy this car, take this job, marry this person, whatever, but I just, uh, there's something, you know, God's put on my heart for you. No, don't do it. Or wait. Because if you can then my guess is you've got a good, healthy relationship. If you can't, then you're flying solo. And that town called about me is a very dangerous place to live, no matter what stage of life you're in. I want to show you today, I want to give you something. Actually, this, this is more proof to me that God knew all this and put it in the Bible, and we humans keep finding it and calling it ours. But in the 1950s, and for those of you who are, who are uh, counselors and psychology majors, you may have heard of this. The psychologist basically came up with these four quadrants, and I've renamed it all because I'm not a psychology major, but I began to study this this past week or two and thought, well, that's God. Well, God said that. Well, God said that too. Wait a minute, y'all just stole God's stuff and called it quadrants and made it something something different. But you need to understand something. And I want you to see this as we go through these four quadrants. All four certainly point to this fact that you need a relationship with God and his people. Now, please don't write in something I'm not saying. I am not saying that you got to have God's people to be saved. That's a singular act by Jesus himself that died for me and you so we could spend eternity with him. But according to the Bible, if you want to live and have all that God has for us, you need his people too. So I want to give you these four quadrants, and I've, I've renamed them to fit us because I think it's God's stuff anyway. This is the 1950s or so, the psychologists came up with this. This first one was the, the public you. This is you right now out in public. This is the, I know what our issues are and what I look like. 
and you know what my issues are and they look like. This is the public persona. This is the church mask that we show everybody. We don't let anybody in close that what you know is, is in public. The church face. This is, this is where religion gets its claws in people because they show up and they act one way because they're acting religious. You see it. You know it. I act it, so I know it. And it becomes who we are. And it's, again, it's, it's a dangerous place to live because it's, it's not real. That Jesus said in Matthew, again, this all came from God. He, God did this before the psychologist put this together. The psychologist <laughs> saw this and used it. Everything they do is for show. The public is when you, when you show up and what you see is I'm, I'm, you're getting because it's for public show. And I tell you honestly, from my position, and I think probably other pastors in town and around the country would agree to this, it's very hard not to, it's very hard not to be showy. That it takes time and trust for you, for hope for you guys to see that really what you see is what you get. That I don't try to act one way here or talk one way here that I don't do if I'm at dinner with you guys or I'm, I'm sitting somewhere in your living room hanging out. But here Matthew says, hey, this public you, everything you're doing is for show. You're, just, you're, you're acting good. We show up because I get to punch my card. I show up and people get to think, ooh, I saw them at church. They must be a good person. And they receive some kind of accolade for it. But it says everything they do is for show. And it says on their arms they wear... Um, there, some versions will use this word. I think it's called phalanges. It's, it's a word that means the Jewish people used to wear these little prayer boxes, and they would wear them on their arms. And then they, if you've ever seen some, the, the real strict Jews would wear it on their head, and they wear a box on their head, a little wooden box. Well, the Pharisees would get these boxes, and they would make them huge. And inside the box, they would write scriptures, and they would carry it around because in their, mind, in their thing that, I'm carrying it out in front of me and it's, it's close to my mind. Well, what they would do is get bigger boxes and it goes on to say they wear robes and they get longer tassels than anybody, everybody else because it made them look better. See, the sad thing is today, God's not wanting to just write it on a box and you carry it around on your arm. The Bible says that he wants to actually write it on your heart. It's a lot more intimate and close than just carrying it around with you. He doesn't want you just to know it, he wants, you to be, he wants it to be part of you. Look what it goes on to say, and it says, What sorrow awaits you, the teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he uses these words that are pretty strong, especially if you know the Jewish culture, and they didn't touch anything or go near anything that was dead or considered unclean. And he says, For you are like these tombs. They're spick and span on the outside. They're fancy-smancy. But he said, the problem is on the inside, you're filled with death and all sorts of nasty stuff because it's a public you. It's what's seen on, it's what's seen on the outside. Matthew goes on to say, what sorrows await you for these people who are whitewashed tombs? They're smiling on the outside. But on the inside, they're, they're battling suicide. They're smiling at church on, on Sunday. When they go home, they're depressed. 
They're smiling at church, but when they go home, their marriage is terrible and they scream at each other because it's all a public thing. And it is part of us, but it doesn't have to be what, it's not a life-giving relationship, so not built in that quadrant. The next one is the secret you. The secret is I know, but you don't know. So I know my own issues. And believe me, I've got a truckload of issues. And there's some issues I tell Melanie, sometimes I'll, I'll get home and ask her, like, was I a little too honest today? <laughs> but there's some stuff I ain't going to tell you because you ain't that close to me. The people that know that kind of stuff are real close. And I trust them with my life because it's that serious. But the secret you is I know all my issues, but you, know, you don't know my issues. The problem is this is if there's nobody that knows your issues, that's a big issue. It's pride. It's a very dangerous, again, place to live where it's somewhere that's all about me. And in the town called All About Me, nobody knows that I'm dealing with, that I'm going through. We've been praying hard, and I, God I really hasn't led me in any direction yet. That we, I feel like we do need to, to be a little more proactive in our school system. That we had this young man kill himself not too long ago. I'm not going to sit up here and pretend to have the answer. I'm not even going to pretend that I think one thing will work. But I do know that if there's secrets that young people are carrying, somebody needs to know about them. At least one person needs to know. That they have a place to go, again, that we're the light in the dark world. This is really hard for us to believe that it could be true that people make a difference. 2 Corinthians 4, and this is out of the message paraphrase version, it says, We refuse to wear masks and play games. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. And that is so counterculture. We don't want people to know my business. I don't want people to know that I'm barely making it paycheck to paycheck. We don't want people to know that I'm really embarrassed about the decisions I've made. We don't want people to know the status of things in my life. But you need to know this is true. That freedom is found in someone else knowing about it. It's, it's so freeing to be able to go, hey man, I've been dealing with this. That whether it's whether for me, whether it's Melanie or one of my overseers or, or one of our trustees and go, hey, this is, I've called one of our guys before, our local trustees. We're still, and I've said this before, we are working hard to try to hire some staff. We're growing, and quite frankly, we need some help. And I told somebody not too long ago, hey, I'm just getting aggravated. I need you to pray for me because it's starting to PO me. <laughs> like, what do we have to do to get help? What do we have to do to get somebody here? And I just began to whine, but you know what? It made me feel better that I had somebody to tell that to. It wasn't bad that I was angry, but what's bad is when it's just me that knows about it. I don't have anybody to share that with. Because James says this, and a lot of people don't realize this, it says, confess your sins to each other and then pray for each other. See, we go to God, we go to God and say, God save me, you sent your son Jesus, but the forgiveness comes, it says, hey, pray for me, help me. And I share this, and look what happens when we find healing through other people, it says the earnest prayer of a righteous person produces something. 
You may not think so, but I'm telling you it's true. One person praying for you can make all the difference in the world. I, I still look back through my life and know that at certain times in my life that I had a grand, particularly a grandmother who's still alive and my grandfather who's not, that I knew they prayed for me every single day, all day long. And times when I didn't really appreciate it and didn't really care about it, but there were a lot of times where it became evident that somebody was praying for me and it made a big difference. That somebody else knew about what was going on in my life and I knew they were praying for me. Even my parents today. Paul writes this in Colossians. He writes, this is a name. Everybody is going to need, need a, a buddy with a name, Epaphras. Um, I was laughing. I, got my, I sit in my office sometimes, and if I get bored in there by myself, I start thinking silly things, and I was making up a... I was trying to come up with a nickname for Epaphras because I can't say it, so I was calling Epap, Mepap, Hey Pat. You know, I was making up names, and I just got... To th- I think how silly it was, but if we all had somebody that you were close enough to that you could give a nickname to, and it says, a member of your own fellowship and servant of Christ, he sends you his greetings, and you need to know this, he's praying for you. And it's not just the Southern. Hey, I need you to pray for me because, you know, I just got this maybe doctor diagnosis, and what do we do as good Southerners? Sure, I'll be praying for you. And then we go to do whatever we want to do. And do we actually pray? No. But this guy says, I'm earnestly praying for you. He earnestly prays. See, everyone, it's got to have somebody like that. That the secrets just aren't, aren't complete secrets that somebody else knows. And I'll tell you this. Even when nobody else knows, God knows. He knows and he wonders why you're hiding it because he knows. The third one is, is what I call the clueless you. And before I finish this, somebody's already thinking, oh, I know who that is. This is the clueless you is, I don't know, but you know. This is the people who they don't realize that they are. Like the people, <laughs> if you know somebody that's loud and talks a lot, and then they say, well, wow, it's quiet in the room. Well, so-and-so left. Well, they don't see it, right? This is the, I tell you what, and this, thankfully it hasn't happened to me too much, but when I've gotten home on Sundays and Melanie's like, hey, you had something in your teeth right there. Or you had this big booger hanging from your nose. Like, y'all help a brother out, somebody. Like, there's 200 people in the room and nobody had said, hey, you got a booger hanging from your nose? All the people online are like, could y'all do something with that? Those are the, that's what I'm talking, you're clueless, that everyone sees it but you. But the only way that gets healed, the only way that gets fixed is you have to hear it from somebody else. But here's the key, you have to hear it from somebody you trust. If a random stranger walks up and starts pointing stuff out at me, I'm like, I don't know who you are, brother, but you need to back up. We're not that close. But if my wife or even one of the trustees or some of you here that I'm friends with walk in and, and start going, hey, zipper or something, I'm, I, I, I take notice because I trust you. Because I know, I know that you have my best. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 that wounds from a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. If you don't have a friend, again, that can walk in and go, hey, see you're going this direction. 
you better be careful. Or, hey, pull back. Hey, don't do this. Then you need one. Hebrews says this, making sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving is taking you away from God. So I check my heart. But it even tells us as friends on the other side of the relationship, you must warn each other every day while it's still today. In other words, there are sometimes that you can begin to talk with people and it may take a conversation or two to get them to see something. And then there's some things I think that are the intervention type things. Like, no, we need to talk now and you need to change this now because this is life or death. This is eternal decision. This is you going to do something that's going to be with you the rest of your life. And we need to be active about it. And we need people in our lives that, that help us because most of us are clueless. Most of us have big, giant boogers swinging in the breeze, and we don't know it. You need somebody in your life to go, that's nasty. You need to deal with it, right? It's like when you ever, I know y'all probably done it here, when somebody, I'm sitting in a service one day, and this lady had a baby, and she had the baby on her shoulder. So the baby was looking at me, so like a goofy that I am, I'm like making faces at the baby and not paying attention to the service, and and all of a sudden the baby goes, and like this big snot bubble comes out. And I was in like, okay, do I poke that lady in front of me who I don't know? And it's like, warning, do I do something about it or no? And some of us need somebody that's willing to like, go, hey, you're about to have the snot bubble drop on you. There's something there that you don't see. So we don't live in this, this clueless life. And then the fourth one, ushers, you guys can do your thing. The psychologists called this one the unknown. Some of them called it the potential you. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't, I, I don't like this one. I don't think they got this right as far as what the Bible says. So I labeled the fourth one this. The fourth one is this. It's the best version of you. You have a public version, a secret version, a clueless version. I don't, I don't know that I've got this booger hanging from my life and I need to deal with it. Somebody needs to tell me about it. And then you have the best version of you. And this is, I don't know, you don't know, but God knows. Why? Because he created you. He built you. And the best version of you, like it or not, the only way you get to that point, here we say you take one step from where you are to where God wants you to be. The only way you continue to take steps is if you've got somebody you're taking steps with. Amen. It's just the bottom line. That's why we tell people there's, there's groups and there's stuff you need to be doing. But the Bible says that when you hang out with people, something happens. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another friend. And again, if you don't have somebody that you can get close enough to that you're rubbing shoulders with, that's a very dangerous place to be. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. Well, if God, if that's the best version of me that you know, well, then how do I find it? You've got to get close to people. How do I find life-giving relationships? Go to places where people are having life-giving relationships. Colossians 2 says this, 
that he holds the whole body together, its joints and its ligaments, and God grows it, and God nourishes it. I'm just going to, this is as plain as I could put it. I just put it, I'll put it on the screen for you. How do you find it? I'm going to ask you to do something that I'm telling you ahead of time, that as an organization, as a leadership for me, we're struggling, mainly because we've grown so much. But y'all need to know the bigger we grow, because I'm never going to turn anybody away. There's never a number that's too many because every number and every name matters to God. But as we grow bigger, we have to grow smaller. And the way we grow smaller is I'm telling you all, you got to get in a grow group. And if I'm transparent and I try to be honest, like we're struggling with, with this because we need leaders. And if, if you can follow a Bible study online, it doesn't have, you have to be a Bible study. We really tell people, I don't care why you gather, just that you gather. You can be, y'all can be the best underwater basket weaving grow group. Why you would underwater basket weave, to me, I've always wondered. But if you're gathering and you're doing life together, that's a grow group. I got a group of guys now, and some of them are in this room. It's not on our list. It's a, I started doing a grow group and just asking some guys, some new, new, new in faith, some couple of them are guys from the fire and police departments that I've gotten close to. And we come on Wednesday nights, and sometimes we watch a video and, and do a Bible study, and sometimes we just sit and talk about life. And I believe as we do, we're making each other better. So you got to get in a group. And God will show you your best you as you do that with somebody else. And then the second thing you can do is get on a dream team. And I'm not asking you to get on a dream team because we got all these jobs that we can't do what we do without the dream team, but we're making it now. But if you ever want to find life and find fulfillment and find the better you, you get in a grow group and then you get on a dream team that you're serving and you're pouring into other people's lives. Because I promise you this, I've said this a hundred times and I'll keep saying it. If you have an issue in your life, the best thing you can do is within God, go find somebody else that has an issue and help serve their issue, help lift them up, help grow them, and then watch what God's done in your life. If you don't believe me, I didn't even know that there was a group doing this and whoever's responsible, I'm super proud of you. But it started with me and Melanie. And one day me and Melanie were sitting up here and Bob calls from next door and says, hey, there's, there's a meal in here, food that says Clinton Melanie. I don't know, it says my name on it. I might as well take it home. And then the next two, couple weeks later, it happened several weeks in a row. And it was always, it was just perfect timing. We're busy, we're, life's crazy. We just need a meal. We'd have to make it, it blessed Melanie. And I thought, ooh, that's great. They did it for me. Then I start seeing Facebook posts. Single mom working hard, get home today. Hey, there's, there's a meal in my freezer. Don't know where it came from. My church is wonderful. And I just, that's it. That somebody in a grow group got together and said, hey, we're going to make somebody else's life better, be on a dream team. And they just went and served somebody. And it makes this all better. It's life-giving relationships, and it's life-giving relationships.
And some of you, I know that right now, you're craving it and you need to get in a grow group. Don't you bow your head and close your eyes. And the other thing that you start with is some of you are saying, well, Clint, I, I can't do that. I don't even know this God. I don't even know if I'm saved. Well, here's one thing. You don't have to be saved to be in a group. Just go to a group. God will take care of the salvation. It's coming. But salvation is, I just believe that Jesus said, I'm coming for you. I'm dying for you. I'm paying your bill. And I'm going to hang out with daddy so you can come hang out with us. You believe that? The Bible says salvation is yours. Right where you sit or online, you can pray that. You can pray that and say, God, I, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I'm sorry for my sin. God, I'm gonna follow you and salvation is yours. If you pray that this morning, then let us know. Fill out the card in front of you or shoot the QR code and send us a note. I'm not gonna hassle you. I just wanna say how proud we are and excited and what's next for you. But for the rest of you, and you guys can go ahead and stand. I just wanna pray and bless you. And part of what I wanted to bless you with, some of you may have it, some of you may not. If you were like me, I was having this discussion with Mabel, my 14-year-old the other day. As I remember, I went through a time in life where I prayed for six months. God, I don't have any Christian friends. God, I need somebody in my life that can help me and be a good, godly influence. And I'm not saying we push the world away, but that we start with godly influence. And for six months, I prayed, and then I began to see God dropping people in my life. Some people, some people that are still in my life today and here local and in this room. So my prayer for you today, if you don't have a group, that God leads you to a group. If you are living in a place called All About Me, he's gonna move you to a place of it's all about we. And he's gonna start bringing people into your life. Amen? God, I thank you for everybody in the room, everybody watching online, that you are a good, good father. And God, you begin to move and you begin to, God, to bring people into our lives more if we already have some, the first if we don't, of people who can make us better, bring us closer to you and help us reach our city, change the world. God, that you tie us together and that you nourish our lives through the word of God, that you speak into our lives, that we get to become more like you. And God, we thank you.